or Psalm 23. Uh, for most Christians, it, it, it's a favourite, uh, a very familiar psalm. For many people who, who aren't Christians, uh, they know the words of this psalm, uh, written by David, of course. Um, Martin Luther called Psalm 23 a miniature Bible. And so it is, a miniature Bible. This familiar text is absolutely unfathomable in its meaning and its relevance to any Christian in any place and in any time. Now, familiarity uh, doesn't always breed contempt, but it sometimes does diminish appreciation. You know, we've heard it so much, we don't really appreciate it. It can lead sometimes to misapplication. So what does it mean to say, the Lord is my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. Well, think of the shepherd thing, just a bit of background. It would have been meaningful to Israel in, in David's day. Um, Andrew read from Ezekiel, of course. But, you know, even if you, you think of the story of Cain and Abel in, in Genesis 4, we see Abel is a keeper of sheep who brought a sacrifice, the firstborn of his flock, and who was killed by Cain. Then there was Moses, a shepherd of Jethro's flock, when the Lord appeared to him at the burning bush. On the morning of the day that David slew Goliath, he was shepherding his father's sheep. David, the author of this psalm, was a shepherd before he was a king. When God said to him, you shall be the shepherd of my people Israel. What does the psalmist say about God in Psalm 80? Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. So the theme of, of, of God as shepherd king would have been familiar to Israel as they read the Psalms. And so kings of Israel were meant to be shepherds over the people, reflecting God's care and God's rule. But the leaders of Israel consistently and sinfully failed. And so the Lord, through Ezekiel, chastises false shepherds who have not cared for the sheep. And he promises, in Ezekiel 34, which was read, I will be their shepherd, I will rescue my sheep. And of course then, this promise is fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, who says in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. So you see the sweep there from Genesis all the way through to Jesus. Psalm 23 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. But he is the shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. And here's where we've just got to pause a second. Because Psalm 23 comes after Psalm 22. This is pretty basic. But it's true. It comes after Psalm 22. Just listen to Charles Spurgeon on this point. He says about Psalm 23, The position of this psalm is worthy of notice. It follows the 22nd, which is peculiarly the psalm of the cross. It is only after we have read, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that we come to, The Lord is my shepherd. We must, by experience, know the value of blood shedding and see the sword awakened against the shepherd before we shall be able truly to know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. You see that? You see, Psalm 22 speaks of one who is, is forsaken, one who is mocked, 
one who is surrounded by Gentiles, one who is thirsty, one whose hands and feet are pierced by transgressors, one whose enemies divide his clothes, one who trusts in the Lord to deliver him. You can check this out, you read it this afternoon. And even when felt forsaken by the Lord, he trusts in the Lord to deliver him. This is all fulfilled, you see, in Jesus So the psalmist says in Psalm 22 verse 31 about God rescuing him, he says, he has done it. And Jesus will say in the Gospel of John, it is finished on the cross. Just as the psalmist proclaimed God's deliverance of him, so Christians should proclaim Christ's work of salvation on the cross to the ends of the earth. And so you have the end of Revelation 7. And the lamb who had appearance of being slain, and it says, the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. The slain and risen lamb, Jesus Christ, becomes the shepherd of the flock for whose salvation he has died. To get to Psalm 23, you've got to go through Psalm 22. Then you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. See, that's not a universal statement about everyone's relationship to God. He's not the shepherd of all people everywhere. Not even the shepherd of all of Israel. It's his disposition towards David. The Lord is my shepherd, David says. And it's for those of us who understand Psalm 22 and our relationship to Jesus Christ as as forgiven, blood-bought, redeemed sheep who can say the Lord is my shepherd so you're not automatically a a child of God what does the apostle John say in John 1 verse 12 to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God you've got to believe and so Jesus says I am the good shepherd you need to enter into the sheepfold through me and you'll find good pasture so the question is today Have you repented and and believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you trusting in Jesus' righteousness and not your own? Then you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. You've got to have the right context in order to rightly use Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And friends, the question is, have you believed the gospel? If it is yes, then lay hold of this psalm and it will open up for you like a treasure chest. It will open up. But my shepherd means I'm his sheep. Okay, now what are sheep like? Sheep are needy and weak. They're easy prey for predators. They're slow runners with blunt teeth and no claws. And even if a predator doesn't get them, they are quite capable of killing themselves. Now, um, Amanda's uh, Scottish aunt and uncle, that's Jim and Fiona, um, they were over in, in Canada uh, fairly recently for Ava, our daughter's wedding, to, to Austin. And, and they were telling us how recently they'd, went, they'd gone for a walk in, in the Dundee countryside and how they came across a sheep uh, in a field and it was lying on its back with its legs in the air. Because if they fall on their back, they can't get themselves up. So his legs are in the air. And, and they told us how Jim, Uncle Jim, had got down on his knees and gone face to face with this sheep to comfort it. You can you imagine the big sheep's eye, you know, looking into yours, while Fiona ran to get the farmer. 
If a sheep falls upside down, it can die because it can't get back up by itself. Sheep are needy. Sheep are weak. They are not fast and they are not very bright. And here's the point. Unless you have the humility to think of yourself like that, you won't believe you need the shepherd. You see? Sin makes you think you're a wolf. I can make it alone. I'm strong. I'm tough. I don't need a shepherd. To to say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I lack nothing. You must realize you have nothing apart from one thing, the shepherd. Get that right and your life will be transformed. But too many sheep foolishly think they're too strong. And, and here's the thing, we've got younger sheep and older sheep in here, and no matter how experienced the sheep you are, no matter how intelligent the sheep you are, you're still a sheep. You're still a sheep. And you've got to remember that. And the shepherd owns the sheep. And the sheep follow the shepherd. What is it our Lord Jesus says? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's what it means to say the Lord is my shepherd. Now what does the Lord do for me? What does the shepherd do for the sheep? Well, there's three things I want us to see from the passage today in three phases really of of the passage. In phase one, we see the shepherd's provision. In phase two, this is verses two and three. In phase two, verse four, we see his protection. Verses five and six, we see his preservation. So three P's for you to remember. Very easy. Provision, protection, preservation. So let's see the, the Lord's provision, the shepherd's provision. He provides for me. He provides me because he cares for me completely. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. You can see it there in the text. I shall not want means I lack nothing. I'm completely provided for in every way. I lack nothing. Complete provision is in view here. Complete care. If you are a Christian, you lack nothing this morning. I don't know how you come here today, but you actually lack nothing. Now, you might have wanted something you didn't get. You might have worked, it might have worked out more conveniently for you if you had it. But if God didn't give it to you, you don't need it. I might think I need it in order to accomplish what I think is best. But life is not about accomplishing what you think is best. It's about trusting the shepherd to achieve what he knows is best. The alternative is to think what? It's to think that God is either unable to give me what I need, or he doesn't care about what I need. But he does, you see. And the shepherd provides a complete care for all the needs of all the sheep. He knows their names. He knows their behaviour. So you can say the shepherd provides for me when I'm sick. He provides for me when I'm well. And he provides for me by feeding me. This is the next thing to see in this phase of of, of the shepherd's provision. See it there in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. To grow healthy sheep, they need to be nourished in good pasture. And sheep lie down after they're well fed. Notice though, the shepherd makes 
them lie down. Sheep can't even do that by themselves. The shepherd feeds his sheep and then says, stay in the good pasture. Lie down in it. He doesn't force feed the sheep, but he provides the food for them, even if they don't want it. And then he says, now eat. Now eat and lie down. And he says to you and me, little flock, eat the word. Eat this word that I'm feeding you now. Rest in the word. Meditate upon the word. Digest the word. God nourishes his sheep through the word of God. And isn't that what Jesus, the good shepherd, instructs Peter three times. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And then Peter exhorts all pastors or under-shepherds to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. 1 Peter 5, verse 2. And that is the great task of pastoral ministry, is to feed the sheep. To feed the sheep with the word of God. The pastor, who is a sheep himself, must feed upon it and then feed the sheep in his care. So how do you know if your pastor loves you? How do you know if Chola loves you? He feeds you with the word of God. In all circumstances. From the pulpit, to crisis counselling, to relational or career advice. That's how you know he loves you. Actually, that's not quite put correctly, is it? Jesus says, if you love me, you will feed my sheep. Feeding my sheep shows you love me. And if you love me, you will love my sheep by feeding them. And he leads me beside still waters. Literally, waters of many kinds of rests. You see, the Lord wants you to have a a physical and emotional nourishment. Drink of the word of the Holy Spirit for emotional peace then. What is it that's going to help you lay your head on the pillow tonight and sleep with all that's ahead next week, all the concerns and, and worries ahead? It's knowing that God upholds the universe with the word of his power and that his mercies are new for you every morning and they're going to be there tomorrow morning when you wake up. Knowing the Lord is my shepherd, you see. That's what you need to know before you go to bed tonight. He provides you with his words, so drink deeply of it. You see, there's physical and emotional and spiritual rest for well-fed sheep. You know that saying, many fitness coaches use it, you are what you eat. So the question is, what are you eating? And you know, it's a crying shame how many underfed sheep there are. And then those sheep get weak. And they can appear ugly and unattractive. And they can even appear like goats. All because they haven't been well fed. They've been eating junk food. I love the wonderful John Stott when he said, Sermonettes produce Christianettes. Weak teaching produces weak sheep. And so professing Christians become easily taken in by false teaching. Because they've got an undiscerning palate. And then they come to a place where there's a good shepherd and he, and he feeds them and they, they begin to grow in a place like this and they begin to become strong and clean and attractive sheep. I know probably this could be the testimony of some of you here today. The Lord provides. He provides in his caring completely. He provides in his feeding well. He provides also in his restoring me when I fall. You see that? He restores 
me my soul. He restores my soul. The Lord loves to restore people who have fallen. He loves to restore people who have fallen. And you can't help it, can you? When you read this psalm, you can't help hearing echoes of David's own experience here. David, a man after God's own heart, the slayer of Goliath, king of Israel, becomes David, adulterer with Bathsheba, murderer of her husband Uriah. You see, David knew what it was to drift from God and the riches of communion he'd enjoyed with him. And God brought David low. And it took time, didn't it? And then he took a personal counsellor in Nathan who would speak the truth in love to him. And then the word of the Lord broke through to David by Nathan exposing his sin with, you're the man, David. And David was humble and broken and contrite. And then Psalm 51, he says, against you and against you only have I sinned. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then we read, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. You see, with David, there was immediate consequences for sin. But the Lord restored to David the joy that he'd lost in the assurance of his mercy and care. And he forgave him. He arrested him. And he turned him back from the path to apostasy. And so David can say, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores me when I fall, you see. Is that you today? Maybe? Backslidden? Backslidden even in this past week? Needing restoration? A wandering sheep? Wandering from the fold? Wandering from the shepherd's care? Wandering from the sound of his voice? So it's only a faint whisper. It's what happens, isn't it, sometimes with us. We wander away, we move away, we're not reading the word, we're beginning to believe the lies of the world, and it's just beginning to fade in the background. Well, there's hope. There's hope because he loves to restore wandering sheep. And isn't that the story for all of us, to some extent? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We call Isaiah's words in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. We sing, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. See, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He restores us by saving us And he restores us by bringing us back on track when we've wandered, even when we've been saved. And so he dies for his sheep, and he searches for lost sheep, straying in the country lane. Left to our own devices, we are spiritually foolish. We get puffed up and think we're stronger than sheep, and begin to wander into areas that we shouldn't. But Jesus restores wandering sheep, so you can trust him. He knows everything about you, you see. He knows everything about you. I don't. He knows everything about you, about your weak. So there's no point in trying to hide your sin from Jesus or your need for Jesus. Confess your sin to Jesus. Let him restore you. And as elders and under-shepherds, I pray that we be increasingly the kind of men, and maybe we should as Christians 
increasingly be the kind of people to whom those who have messed up will come. They'll come to us because they know we're keen to restore them. Not to condemn them, to restore them. Turning them back on the right path to the source of true life. Reviving the soul. May we all be the kind of sheep to whom others will come for restoration when they've sinned against us, even. Because we forgive, even as we've been forgiven. And, and, and we, we look together, and we look to the Lord, to say, the Lord is my shepherd. He is our shepherd. He restores me and you together. The Lord provides because he cares for me completely. The Lord provides because he feeds me well. The Lord provides because he restores me when I fall. And the Lord provides because he guides me in his way. You see it there. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. By his grace my soul is restored and sins are forgiven and then I begin to walk in his way. I have now energy. I've got direction. It's a pleasure to please God, a delight to follow Jesus. He leads me in paths of righteousness for my name's sake? No, for his name's sake. So ask, what is the right path according to God's word? That's why feeding and learning to eat is important. Because guidance is found not in some mystical, I feel God speaking to me. No, it's found in the word studied meditated upon and applied. And where it's not clear in the Bible, there are principles to follow. What does the psalmist say? Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Step by step, asking the question as you go, is this going to glorify God? Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name in my life. Hallowed be your name. Lord, make your name holy in my life so that even our righteous deeds are dependent upon the shepherd. Pray like sheep, dependent. And note this, being a well-taught church could lead you to being overconfident. It's something to watch out for. See, it can be easy if you're in a uh, a, a place where you're being well fed to look at others who are not well shepherded and, and look down on them because they don't have the same guidance as you no anything you have is because of him it's all of Christ he leads his sheep in paths of righteousness for his name's sake not yours and so always remaining humble so you need to know the shepherd's provision his care his nourishment, his restoration, and his guidance. But right paths, for his name's sake, can be difficult and dangerous paths. So you also need to know not only the shepherd's provision, but the shepherd's protection. That's the second P. Just because the Lord is my shepherd, it doesn't mean to say, I won't suffer. And now we move to phase two of the psalm, you see, from provision to protection. The Lord's protection, the shepherd's protection. He protects me. Verse 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. 
Now, you see, the focus of the psalm changes from the shepherd's provision to the shepherd's protection. Sheep need to be moved to find greener pastures, but often they must walk through dark valleys to get to the next green meadow. And there's a danger, isn't there, in the dark valleys of wild beasts on the way. But the shepherd's presence protects the sheep. Why does David say, I fear no evil? Why does he say that? How can he say that? He says, you are with me. You will protect me. The shepherd's rod and staff is used to fend off enemies and rescue sheep, but it's also used to discipline the sheep to keep them from climbing out of the valley and to keep them walking through the valley. The Lord disciplines us in suffering, you see. It hurts, but he disciplines those he loves. Now, friends, in this world, you will encounter dark and difficult valleys. You are most probably in dark and difficult valleys for many of you today. Or you're looking ahead at what's to come. The phrase here literally means the valley of deep darkness. That's what it means. It's not just death, but it's every dark shadow in our lives. Every trial, every moment of suffering, big or small, that threatens us with some loss of some kind. And so many people are a mass of fears. And so they develop coping mechanisms which they never release. So what are your coping mechanisms that you're not released? You see, David teaches us that those fears can be released and they can be calmed by trusting the only one who can calm them. What valley are you walking through right now? And yet the deepest darkness is the shadow of our death or someone else's death. And no matter how long we've walked, the shadow of death casts itself across our lives the longer we walk and as the days go on and the sun goes down on our lives the shadow gets longer doesn't it and I think the longer you go on in life the more surprised you are at the depths of pain at losing loved ones in fact in one sense the older you get the more you lose in one sense and he lets you experience loss in greater amounts mercifully gradually at times but he leads you into deeper darkness why that you might know the closeness of the shepherd because in our deepest trials Jesus comes and he walks alongside us you see he is the one you need in that hour you feel the darkness but you experience the presence of the shepherd and the deeper the pain the deeper the communion and so you say I've been here before. I've nothing to fear. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Notice David is, is not speaking about the shepherd anymore. He's speaking to the shepherd. You notice that switch there. He's not speaking about him. He's saying, now he's saying, you are with me. Your rod, your staff. That's true, isn't it? Suffering draws out deeper communion with God drives us to prayer turns you from speaking about God to speaking to God and notice the reason again that David doesn't fear it's not because the shepherd is ahead of him guiding him it's because he is alongside him 
with him. He doesn't fear just because the shepherd has a rod and a staff, but because the shepherd himself is his protection. You are with me. That's why I don't fear. When God, remember when God meets with Abraham in his dark valley, he says in Genesis 15, Fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Remember David's words in Psalm 27, The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I remember when I became a Christian, 18 year old, just became a Christian, just living in Barnhurst, up the road. One of the greatest things for me was the presence of Christ with me. I was in a rough, tough world at the time. And I thought, once I knew Christ, what can man do to me? See, it's not so much about how dark the valley is. It's more about who's with you in the valley. Who's with you? Jesus' presence calms storms and casts out demons. So if he's with you, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Even in the valley of deep darkness. So pray. Pray that the Lord would give you the eyes of faith to see in the dark. That's what we need. Eyes of faith to see in the dark. Remember Elisha's servant. 2 Kings 6. When the king of Syria was warring against Israel and had surrounded them in the city with a great army. And the servant of Elisha despaired. Remember Elisha's prayer. He said this, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And Elisha says, doesn't he, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Jesus says to you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You just need eyes to see. So that moments of apprehension are overshadowed by the presence of the shepherd and chariots of fire. And so what happens is, you don't necessarily try to escape the dark valley, you walk through the valley. In a steady advance, calm, comforted, composed. And see, the seasoned saint, in suffering or in dying, is composed. He walks. He keeps pace. He keeps up the old pace. Pray for that, just to keep the pace. Just keep the steady pace as you go. Finish well. Keep the pace. That the Lord would cause Christ to grow so much in your esteem that you would keep the pace because you fear no evil. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides for me and he protects me. And then thirdly and finally, the final phase of the psalm, he preserves me. It is in verses 5 and 6. The shepherd preserves me. Now you might think here that the metaphor changes from the shepherd to a host. He says, you prepare, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And commentators differ here. You don't prepare a table for sheep or anoint their heads, they say. Yes, but neither do you restore the soul of a sheep, earlier in verse 3, 
But what is clear is the same Lord who is my shepherd is my host. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The danger and suffering here isn't attributed to circumstances, but to people, to enemies. And here's the thing, people can be such an instrument of distress to others. Now we have real enemies, in some sense, and we can behave like enemies towards others, even towards those that that we love. We can be like an enemy to them sometimes. So we should just pause here and, and say, maybe a great prayer for all of us tonight would be, Lord, set a watch over my tongue, mellow my spirit, that I might not harm others with my words. Soften me, Lord, and give me self-control that I might not act even like an enemy to brothers and sisters in the church, to my spouse, to my children. David knew all too well what it meant to be in the midst of a wilderness, though, surrounded by real enemies because of Saul's jealousy and his personal attempts to do away with David and kill him. And when you're surrounded by enemies, you feel hurt and in harm's way. And I think that the hurt you feel most is a sense of being unwelcome. Maybe you felt that, you know, as a, as a Christian, maybe in a, a secular workplace or with, with others that have made you feel unwelcome for being a Christian. You feel unwelcome. That's possibly the most hurtful thing. You know, when someone turns their face away from you, they shun you. But here's the thing, the Lord welcomes you. And he welcomes you with a feast, an oil, and a cup that runs over. And here's a picture of the lavish generosity of God towards those who are his. It is overwhelming, overflowing, you see, goodness. David had success with God, and so he had enmity with Saul, and that's true. In this world, you will have enemies. If you seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will have enemies. But it's as if the Lord says, I can cope with you, and I can cope with the enemies, and I can still give you what you need. And with enemies everywhere, the Lord says, now sit down and eat. Sit down and eat, he says. And we see it on the night when our Lord Jesus was about to be betrayed, when enemies were surrounding him, planning to slaughter the Lamb of God, who is also the good shepherd, ready to lay his life down for the sheep, even as one of the sheep. And he looks at his flock on that last night, and he says, now sit down and eat with me. Take, eat. Jesus feasting with his sheep while enemies are all around. That's where we see this picture again. And here's where we see this picture, in the Lord's Supper. There are enemies camped all around us, everywhere in Bexley Heath, maybe looking down on Christians, ready to put us down. And Jesus says, now, sit down and eat. Feast on me by faith, my body, my blood for you. That's where we see this picture. And one day we'll see this picture again as the Lord says, sit down and eat with me at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there'll be no more enemies of God's people. No more wolves after the sheep. See, the shepherd takes his sheep from enemy territory into enemy territory. And he preserves his sheep in the enemy territory. With wolves howling, he spreads a tablecloth 
In heat and parching sun, there is food and anointing and a refreshing drink. And the good shepherd says to you and to me, he says, you're safe. And your enemies will witness your enjoyment. And they won't be able to disturb it. And when you stand for Jesus in this world, so opposed to Jesus, when you stand as a Christian on Christian ethics, when you stand on Christian marriage today and Christian sexuality, you will get opposition. But just look at the poise of Jesus Christ, unfazed by the enemy, in full control. He never loses his confidence in his ability to see you through. When it seems to be at its worst, you are safe from all your enemies. And you can be safe from the great enemy, Satan himself. Because he's not scared of the sheep, but he's scared of the shepherd. So David can confidently say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And the sense here is that his goodness and mercy are pursuing you. They're following you. They're coming after you. This is a picture of the intensity of the love in the heart of God for his people. And that is, in a sense, frightening. It hunts you down. His love hunts you down. So don't fight the love of God. Why fight the love of God? If God is love, why run? Some of you husbands might remember pursuing your wife back in the day. You had to work a bit to win her. Didn't you? But you forget, you must, you must keep pursuing her. You must keep pursuing her with goodness and mercy all the days of your, her life. Like the good shepherd, you lay your life down for her. You keep coming after her. Keep loving her, leading her, providing, protecting, preserving, never forsaking her. See, there's a template there, isn't there, for you men, if you'll be good shepherds of your wives and families. And the picture is the relentless love of God. Many years ago now, I was doing a weekend of evangelism in Northern Ireland. I just returned from a weekend of evangelism in Northern Ireland this weekend. But this was a few years ago. And you know, it has had much religious strife. Uh, it was a war zone and, uh, with bombings and shootings, the troubles they called it. And they still call it. The event that I was doing was in one of those areas where the tensions were still running high. And the church sent this huge guy, he must be about six foot four, tall and wide, to meet me at the airport. He was a former Belfast policeman. He was actually carrying a gun. And he says to me, you never know what can happen at these events. I was obviously speaking on uh, Christianity. He says, you never know what happens at these events. He said, but don't worry, when you speak, I've got your back. It was encouraging to know in that circumstance, I have my own personal bodyguard. And so friends, you have two personal bodyguards here. They're following you all the way to heaven. And they're called goodness and mercy. And they won't let you go, you see. They will hold you fast. And so Charles Spurgeon says, these twin guardian angels will always be with me at my back and at my back. You see, the grace that saves you is the grace that brings you home. And that's why David can declare with confidence, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It never ends. It never ends. It never ends. So there it is. 
We have the one who dies in Psalm 22 so that we might embrace and live in Psalm 23 all the days of our life until we dwell in the house of the Lord forever, shepherded all the way into the life that is truly life. The Lord is my shepherd. And just before I finish, the use of that singular pronoun wouldn't have escaped Martin Luther because he said, you're not a Christian until you can use that personal pronoun yourself. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's everything, friends. That is the great blessing. And there is the great blessing in the church. But the only way in to the church is by him dealing with you first and you knowing him personally. So why resist his love? If you don't know him today as this good shepherd, this great shepherd, providing your every need, protecting you from evil, preserving you in the midst of enemies, before you as a guide, beside you as a companion, and behind you, pursuing you with goodness and mercy all the way to heaven. So will you come? Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? The Lord is my pastor? If you can say that, you can also say, I shall not want, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Let's pray. Lord, your love is overwhelming. Your grace overflows to us. Lord, would you give us faith? Would you give us trust in Jesus? Will we be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd? Amen.